Engagement chat, the episode of the Fan Engagement Pod, where we hear about someone's approach to fan engagement. This week it's Jeff Wilson, expert in how engagement at a strategic level translates into practice across sports, businesses, and organizations. He's the owner of Jeff Wilson Consultancy, which works with FIFA, UEFA, the Asian Football Confederation, and other sports, including working basketball with FIBA, in netball, motor racing with the Ulster Grand Prix, and countless other sports organizations and clubs. Take a look at his LinkedIn page. It's at LinkedIn, and his name is Jeff J E O F F W N J Wilson. We look at about how clubs and sports organisations communicate and engage at the front end, and why it's critical that they get their governance and structure right to make that happen. Our next edition will be with Baz Schneider, where we talk about the practical side of fan engagement. We'll still be publishing the occasional chat with a guest about their approach to fan engagement and you can access our nearly 70 episodes so far via Apple Podcasts, Acast or your favourite podcast app. And find out more about our work at fanengagement.net, register for free, get access to the Fan Engagement Hub with detailed data and case studies from the 2018-19-2019-2020 Fan Engagement Indexes and lots more besides. And please like, subscribe and share, it does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world. Right, yeah. So uh, we don't know each other that well. We've met a couple of times. Really, I've I've probably heard you. I've probably heard you a couple of things. Um, and but but you worked quite closely, and you have worked quite closely with Baz Schneider. Um, and um, and I thought it'd be interesting to talk with you about um, what you do, um, why you do it, how you think. And um, one of the things we were talking about before um, I, I pressed record was about um, uh, sort of the nature of communi- so communications, right? And and the strategic nature of it. And I came from a I came when I trained, or when I sort of when I've been trained into a profession, if you want to call it that, doing public relations. Um, uh, you know, I was taught that this had to essentially be a, a um, that management had to understand all these things. It had to understand relationship building. It had to understand where the sale was important, where it wasn't important, where you know cooperation, collaboration was important. And then you were talking about it coming from a different place because you you very much get let, let me get this right very much kind of come from a sort of marketing background in many respects and. What you know, I, I'm the first person to say it's an absolutely critical part of an organisation. However, I think in football certainly, and I think probably in other sports, certainly football, it's become very dominant to the point where it where it can sometimes interfere with the need to build relationships. And you did mention relationship building as well. So it's interesting for me that we've come from different places and ended up being, um, you know, sort of looking at the issue in a very broad sense. And that you. You were kind of really a strategic communicator and an advisor on strategic communications. So just tell us, tell us a little bit about how that's happened, because you know it's interesting that we've landed in similar places and that you're one of another number of people coming from different communications and business disciplines who end up in a very similar place. Well, first of all, um, great to to, to reconnect, and uh, it's always good to 
to exchange thoughts and learnings with uh, experts in the field such as yourself and, and really appreciate asking me to come on to the show um, today. Look, for me, my background, I started at British Telecom. Now, that, that's quite important because I then got a job at the Irish Football Association, but I, I didn't get it because of Jeff Wilson. I got the job because of the experience and the wide knowledge that and the training that was provided in a corporate environment. And that's really important. You know, so one of the things that I would say from my background coming from BT, taking corporate learnings and bringing that then into a football uh, context really um, set me up for the, the, the job ahead. And then I was 10 years at the Irish Football Association, brilliant time there looking after the marketing and communication with zero budget. And yet we did some really interesting things. I mean, you mentioned about relationships. I strongly believe that people deal with people. Strongly believe that. And what we did is we worked really closely with the fans to give sectarianism the boot with the background in Northern Ireland. But also um, we looked at really creative and innovative ways to really improve the atmosphere and therefore the match day experience at Windsor Park. And that's still continuing to this day. And a lot of that came because of, well, relationships and dealing with people and understanding where those different stakeholders are. Now, since then, um, for the last nine years, uh, I've been out on my own. So I work with, uh, very fortunately, some of the, the biggest sports and sports organizations in the world, looking at strategic planning, um, looking at governance, communications, marketing, club and uh, capacity building. But I'm taking all of that learning and sharing it with different people. I'm just an average person. Nothing is unique about me. I've just been very fortunate that I've been to 87 countries. And when you've been to 87 countries, you take all the interesting bits and you're able then to apply them to different situations, uh, even you know currently. And there's always something that you can learn from someone else. So for me, I, I really strongly believe that um, your experiences, your life experiences, how you deal and get on with people is really important in this industry. The, 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 the interesting part of that is, you know, governance, you touched on there very briefly about one of the things that you've talked with organisations about. And obviously when I came up with this, the fun engagement index, one of the things that I looked at was the governance and the things that underpinned engagement. And I suppose that's kind of one of the areas that always, I think it, I think governance, for me, I think probably governance leaves a lot of people scratching their heads. Um, and it's a, it's probably seen as a bit dry. And, you you know, perhaps in, you know, in companies that are, and organisations that are trying to, let's say a football club or a sports club that are moving week to week to week to week to week on a fixture list, trying to compete as well as they can on the pitch, on the field, whatever. Um, and you start talking to them about governance beyond well, we have to file our accounts once a year, um, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, and update our directors list and, and, and shareholders and things. Beyond that, a lot of people struggle with that. And, and I think also a lot of people don't think it's important.
important until it becomes important. Until you say, well, what did you have? What process did you have there making sure, let's say in the fan, fan engagement field, making sure that those meetings were happening all the time? What, did you do any? Well, no, we didn't. We just, you know, we just had the meetings and, and you know. But do you find, is, is this a, is, is it a kind of curio for a lot of people? Are people getting you in and talking? Are you talking about? with it because they don't really know enough about it or because you know they do and they appreciate it and they've come to you to improve where they're going in sports are there a lot of people who are struggling with that um, yeah i think great question i think for me uh, what i would say is it's twofold one it's somebody independently has come in to look at the organization and they've said your governance is not fit for purpose the second area then is where people have maybe had a governance issue. And on the back of that governance issue, they've now realized, oh, we've got caught here. We now need to sort this out. For me, governance is a tricky area, but it's about managing your business correctly. It's about being accountable. Now, you can go into a whole range of areas, but in a, a quick snapshot, have you got a strategic plan? Have you got financial management, financial processes and procedures in place? Do you have the right and up-to-date and modern constitution uh, committees and that organizational structure? Do you have the right policies, the right procedures all in place? Everything from safeguarding to recruitment to how you deal with cash. And it's all about making sure that you're as well you know, you've got something in the community, you're actually giving and there's a, a way of giving back into the community. You have a community led sort of focus. So those are sort of the five or six key areas for me when it comes to governance. And lots of it does start with strategy, constitution, policies, procedures and documents, financial management, staffing and looking after your staff and getting these right. The problem is, you can't just do it when something goes wrong. This is a continuous process. And, and that means you've got to always be on top of governance because if you're not, you could be in trouble. What do I mean by that? Let's say there's a child safeguarding issue. Let's say you've uh, managed your finances and somebody has stolen money from the organization. That then has a knock-on effect on PR maybe even sponsorship, the reputation with your fans, and even internal motivation or demotivation in your staff. So get it wrong. It's just terrible. You have to get governance right, but too many times people just almost wait until something goes wrong before they activate. Well, it's, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's the it's the it's the it's the same uh, you know view that that communications is about putting out stories that are really positive, you know, and then then it then it and then if you're lucky it becomes crisis management <laughs> instead of what's you know what is what's the purpose of what we're doing who is it that we need to work with who is how is it we need to structure ourselves so that we're seat so people understand what we're all of those things are sort of you know essential tools. Um, Kind of, yeah, they kind of set the framework for communicating and kind of it existing, really, don't they? And that's yeah. something that, so when it comes to specifically about um, engagement with fans, 
leaping ahead, you know, is is um is this a is this a, a, a sort of let's call it an Anglo-Saxon disease, as in the economic model? Is I because I did an interesting piece of work when I when I finished off my um, diploma in public relations, and as people are probably bored sick of hearing, I did. I did um, something on two-way communication between English football clubs and fans. And I came across, uh, and, and I'm still very influenced by um, a, a report on organisational listening. Mm. Um, and it, it always, my, my memory fails me every time and I can never remember the, the author. He's an Australian academic. And, um, and it was about the, the problem that you've got is that, uh, and I applied this to English football, is that the, is that the, the way that businesses are established in the most part, the most common business is a private, a form of private company, even if it's a public limited company, it still largely applies. And that it's about profits, it's about profitability, it's about making money for your shareholders. And yeah, there are some things that are inserted in there over, over, over recent years, but in general, the approach is to maximize shareholder return. Now, how much of it is that it's British and it's American and it's Canadian and it's Australian, it's Irish as well, because they obviously have very similar company law. It's actually a problem of structure and there's only so much you can do with strategy. And, I, and actually that's why you end up with the problems you have in English football or Scottish football or probably Irish football. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm maybe a traditionalist in this, in that if we go back to why football clubs were established, it was around the community. And that community might have been a local parish church. It might have been the actual village, whatever. And then over time, that community has been engaged. And I think what's happened, that engagement with the fans, engagement with the community has, um, to a certain extent, is, is, is still there. But the higher up you go, it's a little bit more difficult because there's more issues uh, or more pressures to make money to pay for the players, et cetera, et cetera, uh, salaries and to run the organization. But we can't get away with, I don't think, you know, the, the, the essence of your club is all about you. It's about your community and what you believe and that community of people. And I think in a slight way, the pandemic has brought us back to that. Uh, you know, you've seen clubs putting out um, and calling maybe, uh, so OAPs, how are you, uh, getting meals out there, all the good work in the foundations. And that sort of brought us back to where we were as a club um, X number of years ago. So for me, and especially when you get down to the amateur level, it is still about that community. It is about being part. It's more than just a club. It is, it is where you... Can not only meet people, uh, socialise, whether you're a fan or even if you're a player. And I think we've got to get back to that. I think the massive issue, if we're being really honest and to put a bit out there, our Achilles heel is the players' wages. It has to be at the elite, uh, at the elite level. You know, for a player to get paid more than a doctor doesn't make sense to me. Does not make sense to me. And somebody might say, but Jeff, that's EU law and all. I said, yeah, still doesn't make sense. You know, to pay somebody more that's saving lives than somebody that's playing a game does not make sense. And we need to have a serious conversation with the players, with the fans and the clubs to say we need to control this. Because if we don't, 
it will get out of control because if the bubble bursts on broadcast, where will the clubs be? And we have to get this absolutely right. And an element of that is getting back to engage with the fans, back to the community. And I would almost say community first, fan first. There's a reason why uh, Disney don't call their fans customers. They call their customers guests. Yes. Yes. No, it's a very good point. And that sort of pointing out, um, you know, when, when, when I talk with people, whether it's my students as I as I do as I do now, obviously because I teach UCFB, or whether it's just people in and around the industry or wherever, is I is I always very strongly make the point that don't don't um, fool yourself into thinking that um, Man United is somehow a totally different beast from you know Macclesfield Town. Yes, of course, or sorry, Macclesfield FC is there now. Of course, they look very different. But the problem with a lot of this is it's layering. It's layers of things. It's not fundamental differences. And if you if you um, confuse that, then what you start doing is creating this elite group of, you know, assuming there's this elite um, group of clubs who are somehow allowed to be exempted from the normal expectations. And actually, your point about you know getting back, to, you know, I I mean, I I can buy the idea. I can buy the idea that a player is paid more than a doctor. What I can't buy is the idea that the player, that, that, that there isn't anything that prevents clubs from playing, from gambling too much with the money they bring in um, by paying too much, putting at risk the organisation, the, the, the very thing that fans are drawn to and that they help to create, and the sort of what we for, what we forgot, and I think probably has come back more strongly. Um, and I, I'm just going a bit further down the path you set out. There is we're we're rediscovering that actually fans, even at the biggest clubs, are effectively co-creators. The reason that someone in Thailand wants to follow a club, one of the reasons that. I follow my club is because of the culture around it, because of how the fan base are, because of the songs you sing, because of the players that we identify with as people, because of where it is. And then we all know if you move a club from where it belongs and place it somewhere else, it is no longer that club. And it becomes something very different. I've experienced that person as a fan. Yeah. And and you're right, you know, I think that's the bit. And the interesting part as well is I think, I don't know what you think, but you know, that European Super League. That, that 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 interlude of frankly madness on the part of those that that group of clubs certainly in England and I think probably I think all of them um, was they they became disconnected to that extent and that demonstrated disconnection but the interesting part is in reconnecting you know clubs like Liverpool um, uh, for example are not you know they 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 appear to understand that they are now going to have to consider very, very obviously and clearly and as part of a process, the governance, when they make decisions or attempt to make decisions like that, they're going to have to, they're going to, have to consult on them. They're going to have to demonstrate their homework. No longer will it be possible to simply go off and say, well, this is a strategic decision for the business. It's not for you to be involved in, <laughs> you know, even where they've got apparently good engagement going on. So this is going to, I think this is also going to, Adding to what you said, I think this is 
you know, that that, that, that that has created even more pressure to make that happen. I, I think so. And look, don't get me wrong. I'm okay with clubs making money. No, no, they're a business. So a limited company makes money unless you're a social enterprise or whatever. So I have no problem with that. No problem. I think where I do have the problem is um, what needs to happen. It, it's almost driving a, a wedge uh, between the community fans that used to be and used to serve with the history and the heritage that all came with that club in, in days gone by with I must buy, buy the most expensive player and all of this, you know, uh, income that goes with it. So for me, no problem with players getting paid, no problem with uh, clubs making money. I think there's got to be a adult debate regarding what that should be and for the, the purpose of maintaining our beautiful game, because that's exactly what it is, a beautiful game. My son plays at a, a local um, team here, 500 kids. And when he plays, there's confidence in his ability. And I mean confidence when he, when he finishes off the pitch, so much so that the head teacher actually brings it up in her one-to-ones, that because he's playing football with confidence, He's then meeting other people, other friends, getting to know new friends, and he's keeping fit. So we have a very unique, beautiful game. Let's protect it. Yeah. Let's protect it. Uh, it's so, so important to do that. Um, and and uh, again, I've no problem with people making money. That's not the point I'm saying. It's the size of it. What happens if two or three of those revenue, the big ones, the broadcast, if they go pop, what happens to all of our clubs? And these clubs are part of our history. They're part of our culture. They are many ingrained. You do not get somebody putting a BT tattoo on their arm, but you will get somebody putting a Liverpool tattoo. That's commitment. Yeah. And, and that's why we need to get away from this type of um, attitude where we need more and more and more to get into the community, the club, must reach to the community and the community back into the club in their areas and without their outside of their areas, but on a consistent basis. Um, we have produced a couple of models, one on fan engagement, one on growing attendance. And for us, this is so important to be able to engage your community, but on a regular basis that they, 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 they feel at the club almost that there's a love connection between them and the, yeah. and the fans. And that, to me, is one of the things that football and sport can bring. Yeah, no, love. I mean, I even go beyond that. I say it's 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 beyond love. <laughs> In fact, it's even it's kind of even worse than that um, because you wouldn't take the level of rejection that you get from your club or the, the amount of times they let you down um, in all sorts of ways. Um, totally, totally, totally agree. But that's why we need to then say, well, if there is that love... Why should we have a dusty seat that they've got to sit on and think that's okay? Do, you know what? Why should we have burgers that yes. don't taste after they're just okay? Yes. No, 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 no. If these guys and these girls are guests, we'll clean the seat and we'll bring in better burgers because there are guests. Yes. No. Now look. Now this is, takes me on neatly onto a thing that I've become quite interested in, and 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 I think is. It's something I always kind of understood, but never really kind of had the words, if you like, for it, or never quite the understanding as I've gained. 
But one of the things that I'm really interested in is trying to get people to connect what doing it well, you know, according to the fan engagement index, these are the clubs that do it well. But that's all nice. But if you turn up to their to, to the stadium and everything's, you know, either cold or dusty and dirty and not looked after, then all that engagement is just a lot of paper and strategic stuff. And and whilst it gives you a platform, you're obviously not using it. So how, you know, it's probably too much of a question to answer with, with a short sentence, but how do you, you know, connect or let's put, let's sort of put it in a point, connect, connecting fan engagement, the governance, the, 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 the sort of strategic fan engagement with fan experience at the front end and the, the experience of being a fan, that's not easy to do necessarily, or is it? Is it something that's easier than people think it is? And if there is... Um, it's, so it's, it, yeah, it's not, it's not easy because of so many fans have got different levels of you know, personalities and all the rest of it. But the one common denominator is staff. That is the common denominator. So when we go and we play on the field, we are getting the best strikers, the best midfielders, the best defenders, the best manager. When we go off the field, we maybe get the best chief executive. Maybe we get an okay commercial but then the further we go down gets less and less and less because either of money or it's always been like that. And for me, the key crux is people. So I went to Anderlecht Football Club and there was a steward and I did a little test. I asked one of the girls to go and ask the steward, would he know where the nearest toilet is? And to tell me how she was treated. And this went to the steward. The steward spoke fantastic, really warm, really welcoming, able to say where the toilet was and welcomed her to Anderlecht. Great experience. What was the common denominator? Staff. When that person then went into the uh, merchandising outlet, different experience. In, out, quick, move, move. I, I don't want to get to know you. In, out, keep the cues going. When that person then is the person that's going to clean the the the, the, the dust off the the seats, oh, I'm not doing this again. I'll, I'll just wipe it quickly. The most that I see in the common denominator is we off the field must increase the high level of staff off the field. If you've got a high performing team off or on the field, we should always have, and this is my big bugbear have a high-performance team off the field. We don't just employ people because they were always there, they were a fan, or we know them. Have we got the best cleaners? Have we got the best food servers? Have we got the best VIP? Have we got the best marketeers? Or are we just settling with an okay? I think too many times uh, we're settling with an okay. And in some cases, at the voluntary level, because nobody else will do it. Yeah, yeah. This so that's an interesting one. So in a in an environment where I mean volunteers, you know that that's we all know that's a hard um, that can be a hard place because obviously there's people don't always remember that in, involved in all of that is 
you know, it's not very easy to line manage a volunteer because they're offering their time for nothing. But when it comes to, 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 to paid staff, surely one of the problems as well is um, contracting out. And with the greatest respect to, you know, some of the good people out there who work really hard, yep. contracting out is, oh, is, well, it is one of, you know, whether it's your experience on the trains, like it is over here, you know, in 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 England, in the you know the, the the rail network, or you know whether it's cleaners, you know, and and I speak as by the way, I do speak as having been a cleaner, I've been a labourer, I've done all of those jobs, so I do sort of speak from a position of of experience, and um, um, you know, you you will find that there is a lack of care and attention when you have the when you have someone who's in there on a contracted basis, doesn't isn't part of the team, doesn't feel like they're part of that. So can you mitigate that kind of thing? Um, can you can that be managed? Because we're not about to lose contracting out. Yeah, uh, again, um, great, great, great discussion. And again, I think just to, to, to before I go on, like there's many brilliant staff in all of our, I'm not saying all staff's terrible. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is how do we raise the bar that makes high performance? What do I mean by that? Reducing the amount of mistakes and looking at the fine detail and really planning brilliantly every event and making sure that the interaction is top notch all the time. That's what Disney does. We should be aiming for that same area. In terms of contracting out, I think that has got to be, number one, are you making sure you're getting the right organization to partner with? Or is, are you just doing it because of cheap cost? So we are saying you pay peanuts, you'll get monkeys. And, and, and that is what we need to, you know, go against this. If you want to have a good quality product that people want to come back or even better, tell other people about word of mouth. Every aspect must be at the set quality history, heritage, culture that the club is known for. And that is everything from the pies right the way through to the ticketing person and how that they treat you as, a, as, as an individual. So I think there definitely needs to be stronger. Uh, number one, your criteria, strong criteria, is it saving money? And therefore you're gonna maybe cut corners or are you going to still put quality over it? Second of all, training. You've got to give people you're bringing in great training. And I do not mean one hour, there you do, you're gone. I mean training and customer service training on fan engagement, talking to people like yourself, Kevin, where you can go in and talk to these organizations about what is fan engagement and their role in it on a regular basis. So I think getting the right quality, getting the right uh, training, having the right supervisor and recruiting the right staff, recruiting the right staff from these organizations so that they've got the right personality I'm making sure you have the right supervisor who's on top of things. Let's look at uh, airlines. Airlines have a, most of them have a clear criteria for the air hostesses, air stewards that they want to train. There's a certain personality. Why can't we do the same in football? So that's a, it's a very good point. And I'd, 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 I suppose while you were talking, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, that there are people who don't really care too much for customer service. When they go to football, but I don't know anyone who doesn't who likes being growled at by a steward or being served a pint of beer that's 
warm or too much froth in it or whatever it is. Actually, it's just about, um, you know, look, I come here every week or every other week. I just want to feel like you want me back and I'll come back anyway, but it's a really nice thing when you treat me like you want me back. <laughs> and that's kind of what we're really talking about. And that's it's, really it's really basic. You're coming and it's not even I'm letting you, I'm, you're coming into my house, the club. It's you're coming into your house <laughs> in a way. It's sort of like being treated badly when you go home. Well, well, well it's the exact same um, analogy that you've just mentioned. When somebody comes into your home, you will, especially if you know them, you'll say, hello, would you like a cup of tea? You're making them feel welcome. You wouldn't put them into one room and then go to another room and leave them there. You, you, you would give them a cup of tea. You would then chat to them. How are you? Even better, you would say, Jeff, good to see you. So you're talking to me personal. Jeff, good to see you again. Kevin, thanks for asking me to come to your, your house for a cup of tea. It's personal. And you're then saying, Jeff, I know you, you know, this is the third time you've been in my house. <laughs> you know, everything is personal. You know, you know, that, uh, that that person and what their likes are and all the rest of it. Now, as you grow up the numbers, that's more difficult. And that's where data and digital must come into play. Um, you know, that, that's where those, that, that has to happen. We, we had, can, can I do a wee analogy? So, yeah. uh, I was at a, a, a tourism in Northern Ireland. It was uh, from the 1800s. They were acting out a scene. Okay, so we were in an old, old grocery store. They were all dressed in old gear. So then in come this girl while we were watching this. And the guy said, hello, Mary, nice to see you. Would you like your eggs, two bacon and soda farrel? And Mary says, yes, please, George, I would like that. So George gets the egg, the bacon and the soda farrel, puts it in her bag and then says, Mary, how's Roger? Is he still sick? And Mary goes, well, yes, George, Roger is still sick. Tell him I was asking for him, but I believe he's on the mend. Yep, he's on the mend. Goodbye. So the guy then stopped us and said, okay, that's the scene over. Here's what happened. He says, number one, I knew this was Mary, personalization. Number two, he knew what Mary wanted to order before Mary even said it. Eggs, bacon, uh, and the soda farrel. Then he was able to say, ah, I know that your husband is sick because if your husband's sick, he's not working. If he's not working, he can't pay me. So I need to make sure that I know he's working. And then he was able to say, I hope he does get wet better. And away they went. That has to be the same in football. Using data, personalize who I am, what I bought in the past, what is happening, what my personality is. Do I go to a football match when it's raining? And tailor messages according to who I am. And data can only do that with the numbers of people that we're now targeting, especially at the elite end. That is what's needed in football. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Fan Engagement Pod. Don't forget we've got nearly 70 episodes available with more to come. We cover everything you could hope to cover in fan engagement, including strategy, fan experience and the front end. We speak with CEOs, club chairs, public relations, communications and marketing experts, activists, policing experts, governing bodies, publishers and more. 
Listen via your favourite podcast app, search Fan Engagement Pod, and please like, subscribe and share. It really does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world. And don't forget to go to fanengagement.net to find out more about our work. Yeah, yeah.